we can be guided through it. Whenever you're reading through something like this, this Acts chapter 22, you might just go, oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. But when we read scripture, it's, it, it's hard to do sometimes. You have to sit on it, meditate on it, and be like, God, what are you trying to say through this? And what it, what it reveals is something so much deeper than the surface, just glance at it. Now, you got to remember, where did we leave off last week? We had a cliffhanger. Paul has been, was, was back to Jerusalem. And what Paul is doing, because it's always helpful to understand the political context. It's always helpful to understand the, the cultural context of which Paul is in now. Paul is doing his very best to make sure that the church is all over now that has gone into Greece, they've been in Syria, they are moving all over. And he is making very hard to make this happen, which is to continue their connection with the chosen people of which the Messiah came through. He is doing his very best to try to make sure that the churches all around, these Gentile, these Greek churches, are in connection with the church in Jerusalem. Paul never brings division. He's always trying to bring unity. And it's not so much appreciated, and this is why what had happened to Paul, he was being accused as he's back because rumors are spreading and being spread about him that he is telling everyone to forget the law, which is so deeply important to these people and his people. And, for, and forget the traditions. And actually, some of the most important things that say that we are a part of God, even physical things like circumcision, forget all of that. You don't need to do that. This is what they're saying about Paul. They're spreading some serious rumors. But what they got Paul on and why they were able to even beat him publicly in the street is because they accused him of bringing a Gentile into the temple. This is a death sentence. Rome even endorses that. It's one of the things that they do give them where they can have capital punishment being done immediately. So they accuse him of that. This is why this fight is happening. Paul is being drugged into the streets and abused. Now we know that there's a lot of tension in Jerusalem at this time between the, the, the leaders and the people of Jerusalem and the Roman leaders. There's a, there's a, it's, a, it's a powder keg waiting to happen. And so the Romans are very nervous about this mob and this almost like violent act that's happening, and they've got to stop it immediately, right? So they've accused him of all these things, but the Romans have taken him, they've cuffed him, and they arrest him to stop this riot from happening. And remember, Paul is defending his claim that he is not destroying their culture. This is where we left off last week. He is going to now address the people. And I was saying this last week. It, it's so important that Paul takes every opportunity. He's even addressing his enemies. And, and we, can re, we can relate in some ways how difficult that is. You know what I mean? When you're speaking to someone who you know doesn't like you about that Jesus loves them and you're doing it with a sincere heart. Have you ever been there before? Right? Something is deeper in you that's driving you to do that. Not that Jesus loves you, and since you don't listen to me, well, I'll be in heaven, we'll see you in hell. That's really probably what you feel like you want to do. But Paul doesn't do it. 
Have you ever been beaten severely and got up and said, I need to share with you the good news? Very difficult. Paul is in this place, right? But you got to think about this, and I need to bring you here. Because sometimes when we read scripture, we don't really look what's really happening. Because that, that might not make sense. Why would they just beat Paul like that? Are they just a petty people? This is not what's happening. What's happening is, is that Jerusalem is feeling the tension of an influence that is feeling like it's taken away their identity. It's taken away their heritage. Rome is continually crossing line after line after line. And it's causing the people to feel like they're losing who they are. And so there's so much tension there that Rome is worried about it. And the people are worried about it. And they don't want Paul coming in and changing things anymore. Loosening some of the adherence to the law that they are feeling that Paul is doing. The the term would be Hellenizing the church more and more. Or the practices of the people. It's already gone far enough in their mind. And we're going to see a massive swing happen eventually. But Rome has forcibly put themselves there. They occupy the city. There's a thousand troops right there, right present when Paul is being beaten and they take him. There's a massive presence of dominance in the city. They are taxing them an unbelievable rate. And they're bringing their polytheistic, multiple gods worshiping, slowly invading them. Starting with those who are at the highest of the social class and then making its way down to the people. Because there's a lot of incentives to be in that vein. And so there's an anger happening where I feel like a divide is happening, where they're losing a sense, all right, of themselves. We can relate to this. I look at our, our, our and, and I don't get political, so, you know, don't expect that from me, because I'm here to teach the Bible. But I will say that I feel this sense of what they're experiencing here. I just watch the people now just saying horrific things against each other. And everything is doom and gloom. And, and things are going to be ripped away from this way or that way. We're going to lose every. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Or am I the only one who like watches the news once in a while? It's pretty. Wow. Like my heart rate goes up when I watch this stuff. We can feel the division and the anger today. So maybe take what you feel now if you see that. And, and, and maybe put yourself here back in that day. What happened is about 250 years prior to this, it's important to know a little bit of this, during these years the Bible calls the silent years, there has been a constant, a dominating force ruling Israel. And whenever a new one comes in, they cross over, they cross lines like crazy. But what they ultimately want to do every time is as they rule, they, they can't stand that there is a one God in this city. And so they constantly creep and creep and creep, eventually to the point of where they want to get in the temple and erect their God or even a statue of their leader. This causes a lot of problems and a lot of chaos. It's been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years. And if you read back in history, there was this revolt called the Maccabean Revolt. And in this revolt, we see a lot of things that take place now that we'll read about people in the days of Jesus. Like these people called the Sadducees rise out of that revolt. 
They run the temple. They run the priest. But they're a little too tied in to the aristocratic movement that's coming into Jerusalem. And they're beginning to, unfortunately, influence Jerusalem or Israel in a negative way. But to counter that come these people called the Pharisees around this time, which we would say rabbis, right? Paul is a Pharisee. And the Pharisees are strict adherents to the law, but not only that, what is called the oral law. The oral law is the law times ten, meaning that if there's a law about Sabbath, it was then over time worked in where there are a lot of different rules around Sabbath, even beyond Moses' law. And so it becomes where they are literally guiding and directing the people. They were much more popular than the Sadducees because they were with the people. They did their life with the people. They were people of the people. And so the Pharisee, the Pharisaic movement is very big. And then there's these people called the Essenes who literally just got out of town. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like I talked to people during all the lockdowns who were like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to move to a property in Wyoming and just get away from everything. I was like, wow, you're like an Essene, right? You're just like, we're gone. We're doing our own thing. And so they did. They, they had these huge, huge, and they philosophically and theologically disagreed with the Pharisees and also the Sadducees. And they wanted their own community. And so we see this massive divide happening, and it's really bringing attention to this space. They're in danger of losing their national identity. So you can feel they're not irrational people. It's not just like, wow, those people, or even calling them as bad. They're just at a place where there's a lot of tension. And Paul happens to drop right in the middle of it. We can relate to this today, so we'll put ourselves here in the scripture. Let's pray. God, we love you so much. We thank you, Christ, that you are a unifier of people. That you, through you, all people, all nations, like the Bible says, Gentile, Greek, Jew, all people are called to you. God, you will that not one person be lost, but all be known the truth. And God, I just ask that as believers today, as we face some similarities here in the tension in that city, that we remember that it is through you, Jesus, that we are to love others, not to other people. And God, help us through Paul's example in the face of people who hate his guts, still love, still share, but never loosening on the truth. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. I titled this message Identity. I have one phrase, one statement. I want you to think about this entire message. I want you to own this, this statement. I want you to think about it and how it's reflection to you. And the statement is this. When you know who you are, you know what to do. When you know who you are, you know what to do. And this is an important thing about our Christian identity. And this is what Paul models for us so well. Paul knows who he is, and so he knows what to do. And so even in the difficult times, even in the times when he is struggling, he is disappointed, he is defeated, he has been beaten, he has been shipwrecked, he has been run out of town more times than we can count. He knows who he is, and so he knows what to do. 2 Corinthians 5.17, about your identity, about knowing who you are. It says, therefore, if anyone, Paul writes this, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
You're, you're new. You must be in touch with that new creation. You must have your identity intact. The old must pass away, and behold, the new has come. Paul deeply embodies this. This is why he doesn't deter from what God has called him to do. I don't think Christians are so clear on this area of their life. Many times I'll encounter people who they're not fully in touch or fully aware of who they are in Christ, who they are and to whom they belong. This is a, a piece of scripture that is good for us to remember. And not only that, this is a person who wrote it who embodies this in his life. Christians who aren't totally clear on their identity, they'll experience things like this. They'll cave when it's difficult. If they're not sure on their identity, they'll lose the course. They'll find detours. You've never been there, but you'll get detours and you'll question and you'll wonder about yourself or your faith. You'll react and you won't respond. There's a difference there. We teach our kids to do that all the time, but how good are we at doing that? We react instead of responding when we are off course, when we don't have our identity fully intact. They fall for bad doctrine, truth, teachings, scriptural doctrine that is our foundation. They, they fall for those. And bad theological movements when their identity is not intact. And they lose purpose. You can see, I've talked to Christians who are absolutely purposeless. It's almost like they're floating through life. I, I can't tell you how many conversations I have with people who say this, like when times are tough, like I'm just praying Jesus comes so I can get out of here. And I'm like, no, no. These hard times are meant to make you strong, to continue to preach the gospel. Paul could have prayed, oh, Jesus, won't you just come back right now while I'm being beaten? No, 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 no. Paul has a different perspective. And if you are not fully intact in your identity, you will become timid. You'll shy back. Our identity is so important for all these parts of our life to be as God called us to be in his kingdom. I, I used to coach uh, uh, little, little uh, fifth grade girls basketball, right? And if you want a challenge, fifth grade girls basketball is a very difficult challenge. And it was, it was a really fun thing for me. But what I had noticed as I coached, I knew this as a player, uh, watching my teammates, but I watched it when I coach. When somebody who is confident in their skills and you know they're good at what they do, they delivered before, but isn't it amazing when a player loses their confidence? It's shocking what happens. Suddenly, a shot they made every single time, they're missing it. Suddenly, all of a sudden, they're getting angry. They're losing their composure. Suddenly, they even want to be taken out of the game. Their identity has been rocked in that moment. They lost their confidence. And I think for believers, it's so important that we maintain that or we'll experience those types of things in our life. We have to fight to keep our identity. So Paul is going to break his sermon down into, in, into a few things here. Here's what they are. One, Paul, you're going to hear say, I understand you. You people who want to kill me, I get you. That's so hard. But when we're going to witness and share our testimony, we must empathize and have people understand that we understand them. But then Paul never leaves it there. He says then, but I'm new though. Something's changed in me and I need to tell you about it. And we're going to see him talk about his new passions have changed. 
Paul's a very passionate person. But the passions and the direction has changed. And the last thing we'll see is he seeks every opportunity to share that with others. The first one here is Paul's ultimately, when we get into this first piece of scripture, you're going to hear this kind of feel in what he's doing. And one way... You can read all kinds of scholars' opinions about this, and I do agree with them. But I think it's, in my opinion, for a sermon like this, it's a shallow reading to just go, Paul is trying to make himself sound more Jewish. You're going you're gonna to hear that. But I want us to take a little deeper look in the nuances of, his, of what he's doing when he's delivering his testimony. He is one first going to say, I am of you. You know, the hard thing about when you see people who have converted and they've changed their life, it will almost feel like that person is, you can't relate to them anymore. You don't understand why, they're, why, why they think that way or the things that they do. And we go, oh, I can't believe that. That's horrible. But it's like, w- weren't you just there? <laughs> I don't know what, what, what you think. is. I know you're a new creation and your identity, but weren't you just there? We have to be careful of that. Paul said, I am of you. Paul desires to claim, or sorry, to, to calm their othering that they're doing to him. And their fear and their anger drives the othering. Paul, you're not one of us. And he's like, no, I, 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 I am. I am of you. Acts 22, 1. Brothers and fathers, listen to how he's addressing them. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard this, that he was addressing them in, Hebrew, in the Hebrew language, they became quiet, or even more quiet. And it's interesting because he's probably, he's probably addressing them in Aramaic, right? So the, the, the tribune, he probably doesn't know Aramaic, right, this Roman official. So Paul is addressing them in their own language. He's speaking to them, just to them. And it's important to realize this is that I think to them, what they hear is that Paul could have made a speech that the tribune would have heard, and, and it would have been probably good for Paul that he heard it. But he says, listen, I'm going to speak to you, and I'm going to take the risk that this person can't even hear me. I'm speaking to you in your language. So they leaned in a little bit more. And he said, I am a Jew. Now, maybe they couldn't tell or maybe they had just worked up in their minds uh, he's been beaten and he's been bloodied but I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Sicilia Cici- uh, uh, but uh, brought up in this city meaning that I was born into an area away from here in Syria but I was raised here I was brought up in this city I was educated at the feet of Gamaliel According to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God. Now listen to this, the best part. As all of you are this day, as angry as you are at me and as zealous as you are, I understand because I was, I was also that way as you are today. And I think what's important is a couple things to look at. Is one is Paul is saying, hey, we've grown up together. You know me. I got you. Right? He's relating to who they are. And also, one of the things why the name Gamaliel is important is because Gamaliel was a very sound leader. He was an incredibly wise Pharisee. We hear about Gamaliel back in Acts 5. 
And he shows up in scripture for a second, if you remember. And he makes a judgment call that is contrary to everyone else, but he's, he, he's highly respected. And he comes from a great line of thinkers. And what he says is, when they want to persecute Peter and John for sharing the gospel, and they want to stop it right then, he says, why don't we just see what happens? He says to them, let's, uh, let's, if it's God, you cannot stop it. This is very hard to do when everyone's worked up. If it's God, you cannot stop it. So let's not get in the way of God if it's God. And if it's not God, it will end. And Paul is under that type of thinking. So he's telling them, I'm, I, I was raised, I was brought up, I was trained in a very reasonable manner. So he's not out of his mind in a way. And he says, I understand the zeal and dedication to the law as life. I get it. I think this is so important when we read this, what Paul is doing. He is not abandoning them as a people and saying, you are, you, you are now that. I am this. I'm better. He is saying that I understand where you are. You know this feeling when friends see you as different. You know what I'm talking about? When you became a believer. Do you guys remember when you became a believer? I'll never forget it. Like, I became like a weirdo to all of my friends. They were like, I got, what's happened to you? One of my friends asked me if I had joined a cult. And he was like, dude, you're just not, you're just like, what's wrong with you? I was like, I, I don't know. But you know, my problem was back then, I couldn't do what Paul was doing here. I couldn't reach and say, I totally understand where you're at. I felt like I needed to be away from my friends. I felt like I, I, couldn't, I couldn't be around them because it was evil. Because I knew where I was at with them. I wished I would have learned much better there to do what Paul is doing now so I could have shared the gospel properly. Listen to Philippians 3, 4. Paul writes this. If anyone else thinks that he has reasoned for confidence in the flesh, I have more. That sounds pretty arrogant. Circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a very prominent line, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as high as you could get, this moral leader that directed the people. As to zeal, I persecuted the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But listen to his shift. But whatever gain I had, I counted all as loss for the sake of Christ. Paul is saying this. Everything I put my confidence in was rocked and shaken, and now I count it all as loss for the sake of Christ. This, this reflects what he's saying here in this part. Let's go to verse 4. I persecuted this way to the death. The way is what they called the church before it was deemed Christians. The way, people of the way. Now in Acts 9, we didn't hear him say that he was putting people to death. But here from Paul's own words, not a narrative from Luke, that Paul says even to death, binding and delivering to, the prison, to prison both men and women. He was ruthless. As the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear witness to me, who are most likely standing there wanting to kill Paul, he's like, these dudes around you, they were there. <laughs> Remember, Bob? You were there when you were witness to this. And it says, from them I received letters to the brothers and journeyed towards Damascus. And to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. Acts chapter 9. 
Paul is sharing the path that he was on and the direction he was going. And it's a lot like what they're doing to him right now. But he's going to flip the script in a second. And I think it's powerful what he does. But he's saying, you know, I'm just like you. I understand you. Now you got to understand me. And this is where it changes. The next thing that you'll get into this, this sharing his witness, his testimony with the people who hate his guts, is one, he's saying, I am of you, but you have to understand that I am new. I think this is hard for Christians, this, this, this I am new part. But he's so rooted in his identity, it doesn't hold him back from anything. And so he shares the I am new. And I think this is true. A revelation of Jesus changes everything about Paul's worldview. When Jesus was revealed to Paul, it changed everything about how he saw the world, everything about how he saw himself in the world, and everything about how he treated the world and the people in it, in his mission. Now, you have to ask yourself, when you had a revelation of Jesus and it changed your life, did it change everything about your worldview? Did it change how you treated people? Did it change how you approached people? Did it change your purpose in life? Did it change the person that you were meant to be through God? Did, did, did it change how you listened to him on a daily basis? Did it change your entire worldview where once you thought of someone as this way and now you see them in a different light? This is what happened to Paul. The revelation of Jesus changed everything. Verse 6, and as I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, that's a new detail, a great light from heaven suddenly shone upon me. And I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. This is his revelation moment. He realizes and he has a personal revelation of who Jesus is and this is the moment Paul's life changed forever this is Paul in a moment where his entire world just changed oh man if you can just remember this about your faith when you became a believer your entire world shifts in that moment when you realized for me the beginning steps of that was I realized that actually God might be real because I didn't believe God was real and I fought against Christians. And then I realized God might be real and it shifted my entire worldview and then it was a cascading effect of eventually that, oh my gosh, and then I had a revelation of Jesus and his grace and his mercy and it changed my entire life in that moment in my bedroom living in my parents' house. It changed everything. It was this revelation moment. And those, and it goes on to verse 9, and those who were with me saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me, the guys accompanying Saul. And I said, whatever shall I do, Lord? This is his devotional moment. This is where he's devout now to the revelation of Jesus. We need that in our life. You have a revelation of Jesus. It's, it's wonderful. It changes your whole worldview. But what did Paul do next? He then became devoted to that voice, to that revelation. What do I do now? Tell me what I need to do. Uh, and he goes on to say, 
And the Lord said to me, rise, go to Damascus, and there you will be told uh, all that is appointed for you to do. Verse 11, and since I could not see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand, and those who were with me, they came into Damascus. Paul is this. This is, this is what he's wanting people to realize. I came with chains in my hands, and I left chained to Christ. Paul says it all the time. I am a slave to Christ. I am bound to Christ. Paul came with one mindset to to chain people and cause division amongst people and to squash people. And he comes another way where now he is chained to Christ. Now he's got to do what Jesus says to do. And he chooses to be devoted to that. His plans were completely changed. Verse 12, and Ananias, who is referenced in chapter 9, Hey, this is what Paul says about him. Now, this is where we hear Paul saying, like, listen, I'm not just some crazy person. Ananias, who is also a devout Jew, he's going to say, a devoted man according to the law, well spoken of by the Jews who live there, came to me. He's bringing credibility that this, our people, this is maybe what we've been waiting for. This is a very credible person. And he also had a revelation. And he came to me standing by, uh, standing by me, Uh, And said to me, brother, important, brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers has appointed you to to, to know his will. And to the righteous one, that means Jesus, and to hear a voice from his mouth. What he's doing is letting everyone know that actually what we've been waiting for as a people might very well be here. And other people who are notable people in our community are also seeing the same thing. I love the, the, the blindness to his vision kind of thing because I feel like that's what happens as believers. Like you, you, you essentially are blind in a way, but then Christ comes and brings light in worldview in your life and changes your entire perspective and he goes on to say this the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will right and uh and the righteous one to hear his voice out of his mouth and for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard and now why do you wait rise be baptized wash away your sins calling on his name this is this is exactly what he lays out There's revelation, there's repentance, there's calling, and there's obedience. There is no believer in this room who is going to sidestep any of these. There is revelation when you had it, when you became a believer. There is repentance that you, the way you were living and what you put your life and confidence in or rule your life, now you repent and you turn And then there's calling, which we all have, whether you think that you are called or not. If you think you're not called, you're wrong. I'll just tell you, you're wrong. Oh, no, no, pastors are called. No, 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 no. I'm called to do a specific task. You're called in the task that God has for you. You're called. And then obedience. Obedience is the hardest part. (laughs) It's the hardest part. Like, to actually go, when God is leading you to, into something difficult, it's hard to be like, I'm going to go do it, right? I was watching the show Alone. Do you ever watch the show Alone? It's where they go and live in the wilderness, and they try to outlast each other, and they just try to live off the land. It's a fascinating show. I always love it, because those who are the most 
vocal about how wonderful they're going to do usually will be gone so quickly, right? And it's funny because Paul never does any of this. He, he just, just the people who are obedient to something, they'd last the distance. The ones who make the big show won't last the distance. Obedience is a, a, a every single day step. I listened to the winner of it. Uh, I just finished it last night. It was so good. And since it was, you know, fall back, I stayed up till like too late. And so, but it was so good. We watched it and it was like, he said this one thing. It just every day I had to just one step at a time. This is obedience. One step at a time. Now, my favorite was the guy who came in and was saying like, he's going to win. He's going to do great. He's, he, you know. It was shocking. And I knew right then, I was like, I told Anna, I was like, I give him five days. He went six days. And then at six days, he's like, oh, I got to go home. I don't want to die. And I'm like, wow. I've like fasted longer than that. But like, it was one of these things that Paul walks out his obedience as a believer. It's one day at a time. It's one step at a time. It's not going to be this grandiose, amazing thing. It's just going to be one step at a time. Real quick, the next part he gets into is Paul then says, listen, I am of you, but I am new, and I have a new purpose. Paul is displaced from his path of which he had chains in his hands for. Everything he knew in life, his worldview shifted in this moment from division to a path of unifying people. I know you might not feel like it in this moment that he's unifying people, but he has been unifying people. And it's cost him dearly to unify people to Christ. Verse 17, and when I had returned to Jerusalem and I was praying in the temple. Uh, this is a good part because we don't know this from chapter 9. We never knew this. Now we're getting right out of Paul's brain. I was praying in the temple and I fell into a trance. Now this is weird. Because some people are weird about trances. I've never been in a trance, just so you know. I, I, maybe, I don't disagree with it. Paul was in a trance. But he was praying, and he went into a trance. I, I, listen, when we read these things, we just will glaze over them for a minute. There are moments, like Peter has, he goes into a trance. He has this revelation of God is leading him to something bigger. I don't know if you've ever had a trance. I just personally have never had a trance. I always look for things, though, in my dreams. Or I'm like, God, was that you? Like, I had a dream the other night. I'm not going to lie. It was, the, it was the most violent dream I've ever had physically that I reacted to. I, was being, I dreamt I was being attacked by a crocodile. And I was kicking this crocodile with everything that I had. But I was tucked into the side of my bed because it was a little chilly. And I was kicking the side of the bed. So it felt like in my dream I was kicking the crocodile. This went on and on and on. And finally I woke myself up and I just like laughed. I like laughed and giggled. And Anna was like did you have a seizure? I'm like, no, no, I'm fine. She's like, it felt like you had a seizure. I'm like, no, 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 it's a crocodile thing. You wouldn't understand. <laughs> if I took that and I went and said, oh, you know what? I just better never go in water where there's crocodiles or that's going to happen to me. God's warning me. I don't believe that's true. I don't know how these things work. I can't tell you how Paul's trance is, right? But Paul is in one. And he said, and I saw him saying to me, Jesus, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. Now, he's telling everyone this. Remember the people who said that he's desecrating the temple, but yet he's connecting with God in the temple. So they're hearing that Paul's not someone who became a believer and then turned his back on his people. He's actually in the temple. 
And it goes on to say, and, uh, and I said, Lord, they themselves, he's speaking of the people that God's telling them, you got to get out of here. They themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and I beat those who believed in you. God, I got street cred here. <laughs> this, is what he, this is kind of a weird part of the statement. I got street cred here, God. They all saw who I was. And then it goes on to say, And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments as those who killed him. Won't this make them curious, God? This is what I think he's doing. Won't this make them curious, God, about the change that's happened in me? They all know how zealous I was. But won't they be curious why I changed so much? I was stronger than all of these people for you and zealous. I think that's kind of interesting, his reasoning with God of like, they're going to get it, God. I got street cred here. But it's just like in our lives, your friends, when you have changed your life and changed your ways, and you think that, man, don't you see the change that's happened in my life? That should be a witness to you. Because when I was who I was before, I was having a great time doing it. But, but I've made this shift. And wouldn't that make them curious? It, it doesn't always. And you have to be okay with that. Like God is telling Paul. If they're not going to see what you're wanting them to see, Paul. And he says this. And he says, and he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. This is interesting because... The more you know about the tension with Gentiles and Jew, sometimes when Paul writes, sometimes he won't say Gentile, he'll say Greek. And there's these separations a little bit where you're like, why are you saying Greek? Why aren't you saying Gentile? And there's a lot of racial division. There's a lot of nation division. There's a little bit of a class division. So when Paul says Greek, like we read in, first, in 2 Corinthians earlier, when he says Greek, there's no more Jew or Greek. The Greeks, and the philosophy was, is that they were better than everybody, actually. They were the most educated. They were the most, uh, they, they developed the best culture. Rome was even jealous of the Greek culture. So it was an honor to be called Greek. So he uses the highest form of those who feel that they're better than everyone else. And he says that you're neither Greek nor you're Jew. Gentile referred to, and the word in Gentile means the outsider. And so Paul is saying, I've called to the outsider. And this, this was hugely problematic because of what we had said has been going on in the city. And not only that, what was he accused of of bringing into the temple? A Gentile. And so the people's reaction, it's not great, but what I love about this temple conversation, it reminds me so much of what the temple, what the conversation is that, uh, in Isaiah that he's having in chapter 6 in verse 1 through 10. It's worth the read. He is having a vision and he is in seeing God on the throne, in a sense, and these angels singing around, holy, holy, holy. And then angel, he is literally crushed by his sin in his life because of the holiness and presence of God. That this angel comes, cleanses him with this coal, and then he's in this moment. And what I love about it is God says, listen, who's going to go? Who will I send? This reminds me of this temple 
moment Paul is relating to. Who am I going to send to the people that are difficult? Isaiah says, send me. And then God says, what? In Isaiah. Then take my word to them. You got to take what I say and bring it to the people. Even though they're unruly and difficult people. And it's going to be very difficult for you. Paul is connecting in this very same way. And this is what it is. When God is, called, when God is calling out to the world and saying, I need people to go in difficult places. Who am I going to send? Are we going to be like, send me? I'll go. And God will say, then, go and bring my word. We have to, we have to be in these places, willing and ready to go. And where Paul knows he's going to go... He knows he's going to be ostracized. He knows he's going to be beat up at every synagogue. He knows that what he's doing and bringing, he's a, he's a pioneer. And he knows how hard it's going to be, but he goes and he does it anyways. When he says Gentile, they stop his, his sermon. They stop his testimony. They've had enough. They start throwing dust in the air. They start taking their, their top uh, uh, jacket off and they're shaking it out like get this guy out of here he's unclean we don't even want to be around the same dirt that he's on and then they start calling for his death what they have done with Paul here is now they have deemed Paul as dangerous as the Roman Empire he is now an enemy of the people they have completely othered him now but uh, this is what I appreciate about Paul his he, call for inclusion it's important, but it's a threat to people in so many different ways when he's calling for this. If we really knew the historical divides amongst all the people and the nations and the classes, there's so much division. And what he's doing is breaking those divides, and God needed someone who would be willing to answer that call. The tribune then takes him inside, away from the mob, because he doesn't want him to die. And they brings him in, and then... The, the tension is just getting crazier and crazier. What we don't, what Paul is not written about here is that in 10 years, this entire city is going to be destroyed because of the tension between Rome and, and Jerusalem. They're going to lose everything they're fighting for anyways. It's going to be a sad and crushing defeat and change the nation forever, actually. So we can see this has been getting here for a while at this point. But what I love about this is the gospel is God's heart for a deeply divided world. I think this is the biggest takeaway I have from his testimony. It's not just Paul just sharing his testimony so that his Luke's readers are going, oh, yeah, that's right, he had a conversion. That was cool. what, he's, what we're going to take away with this, I think, is that God's gospel, his heart for the world is, is to bring unity to a deeply divided world under Christ. Think about our church right now. Look around this room. It's amazing how different everybody is. Different backgrounds, different life. We, we, we can be in our own little bubbles, and we can just be fine there. But the gospel has called us to be here as a unified people of a diversity from, from different countries, from different, different states, and man, different neighborhoods all together in one under the banner of Christ. We see this happening all over the entire world. God's heart is to bring unity to this world under Christ that he may save the world. Paul gets it. And by the way, 
He's fighting against the threats from any ethnic, from fighting threats about threatening ethnicity, class, culture, national divisions. He's fighting all of that to be a spearhead to bring unity. This is why it's so problematic because it's never been done. It's causing all kinds of chaos because, but under Christ, you can see it in a lot of Paul's writings. He's bringing the church under one place, under the banner of Christ to unite people. This has never, ever in history been done before. So what you're reading and what you've read through Acts is actual history in the making. It's never been done by anyone. It's only been done by force and power. And Paul is bringing revelation and light. Galatians 3.28, and then we'll go to our very last thing. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ. That's a brand new concept. Never been done on the planet. I hope we can live that out today. That's what concerns me as we lose track of this today. We're now having so much division, so much othering, that we're losing con- the, this concept here that was so revolutionary that it caused so much of the powers that be to fight it. We have to own and possess that passage. And Paul, because he knew who he was, he knew exactly what to do, and we do too. It was a new identity that he was presenting so the, the tribune, like I said, he didn't understand what Paul was saying. And so he just says, like, you know what? I got to get the truth out of this guy. And so what he does is he puts him in and he begins to set him up to be flogged. Now, a Roman could beat another Roman citizen with a stick. They could even imprison them, right? There was, it was a little iffy. But to flog someone with these tools that rip their flesh apart, and they would flog and whip them dozens and dozens of times. And it was funny, I was reading about this one Roman interrogator, and he said he had 100% of the time confessions. And I was like, well, <laughs> yes. And he was so proud of it, and everyone talked about he would always get a confession because he would whip them until they would eventually tell him what he wanted to hear. Paul was about ready to be stretched out And he's about ready to be beat into an inch of his life. Many people didn't make it past the beating. But Paul knows one thing. He knows that it is definitely illegal to flog a Roman citizen. It was one of their rules. And so he says, is it legal for you to do this to a citizen? Now, I love this moment because I don't think Paul is being tricky. I think Paul is saying, you're about ready to do something illegal and I'm a Roman citizen. This is what I love about this, why identity is so important. Paul's identity is not in his Roman citizenship. Paul's identity is not in his, even in his heritage from his uh, upbringing. Paul's identity is in Christ. And so it's not that he relies on his Roman citizenship. He just said, you're doing something illegal, and you might want to rethink that. And they do. Everybody who has something to lose, the tribune, the, 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 the chief guard who's going to whip him, literally freaks out because they know that if they do this, they could be sentenced to death. And so they have a visceral reaction to what happens. The last thing, and this is really short, Paul, not, Paul says, I am of you. Paul says, I am a new creation. Paul says, I have a new direction. And this is what I love about Paul. And then he, has, and then he just looks to, I have a new opportunity. 
I have a new opportunity coming. Paul sees every situation, tension, or crisis as a gospel opportunity. Do we? Anger between family members. Do we see that as a gospel opportunity? Divisions at work. Do we see that as a gospel opportunity? Divisions within our culture. Is that a gospel opportunity? People who hate you. Do we see that as a gospel opportunity? Paul sees everyone like this. Let me read this. It's two verses. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, this is the leader, the tribune, he unbound him and he commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. This is the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the whole council, the Sanhedrin. And he brought Paul down and he set him before them. Chapter 23, verse 1. And he looked intently at the council and i got to do it to you again. And then Paul said, and we'll get to that next week. <laughs> and it's really good. You're going to like it. We're going to take communion right now. And I think that, it, the, I hope that we set the stage right for the beauty of communion as we worship. You know, this, this table, and we say it often, is this table is the, the great equalizer of everyone here. I don't know everybody's story here. I don't know your life, but I know that we all need Christ, and he is our daily bread, right? And we all are under the banner of Christ, and so we see each other as equals under needing Christ the same. We have to lay our ego aside. We have to lay all of our accomplishments aside. Like Paul said, I count it all as nothing in light of for Christ and his sake. Everything that we can be confident on, we have to put aside Because your identity is right here in Christ. That's who you are. Paul had lots of things he could brag about, but he was most proud of his identity. And you have to answer that question. That that sorry, that you have to own that statement in the beginning is when you do know who you are, you know what to do. And so I if I could encourage you in anything as you take communion today, is to to really own your identity and you'll know what to do. And you'll do it, like Paul. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you, God, as we take communion today, as we celebrate an opportunity as a body of believers, of a diverse group of people that are living out Paul's obedience to go and make believers out of all people, all nations. We are living that out right now, God, and as an honoring to the work that Paul had done and an honoring to the vision that Jesus had given Paul, we today celebrate it, and we are honored to be a part of that legacy. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with me and take communion with us?